Good morning, welcome to Faithbrook. I'm Chrissy Thompson, our Children and Family Director. We're so glad you're here with us, whether you're in person or online. And if you're a guest with us, a special welcome. We're so glad that you took this chance and are here with us today. Well, if you'd like to know the best way to stay connected here at Faithbrook, it is through our Church Center app. There are a ton of great features that can help you stay engaged and in the know here at Faithbrook. You can see events that are coming up, life groups to be a part of, simplify your giving, and even check in your kids. So go ahead and take out your phones right now. Go to your app store and look for this Church Center app. Download it, follow the prompts, and select Faithbrook as your church. We hope that you give this a try and stay in all that's going on here at Faithbrook. Well, let's now welcome our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we continue our series, Finding the Best You. His name was Tim Wardall. He was a traveling salesman before cell, cell phones were invented. He found himself in the West Plains of Texas late at night trying to get home. He persuaded himself that even though he was really tired, that he had enough energy that he would, would make it home. Well, sure enough, in the middle of the night, he dozed off and his car went off the road. Next thing he knew, he saw, found himself looking up at the stars, realizing that he must have rolled his car. He was ejected and his car was over there upside down. But he thought to himself, well, at least I'm alive, I'm, I'm breathing. And he's persuaded himself that, that he was okay. He didn't have too much pain, even though something was wrong with his leg, but, but he was gonna be okay. If he could just get himself up to the side of the road, he could flag down the next car and, and maybe get home and uh, things would be all right. It was pitch black. So that's what he did. He, he got to the side of the road and he sat there and nobody was out in those highways at that time. But eventually, 45 minutes later, a, a car would come down the road and he did all he could to kind of get on his knees and, and wave it down. And <clears throat> eventually the car did notice and slowed down. And as the car drove close to him, they, they realized there was a hurt man on the side of the road and they put on their bright lights and they got out of the car. And when they started uh, walking up to Tim, he noticed their eyes because their eyes started getting larger and they started looking at his body. He started looking at his body and he realized that maybe he was hurt. He was sitting in a pool of blood and his leg was broken and there were gashes and the people were frightened and then he started getting frightened and shock started taking over his body with shivers and, and shakes. They realized they needed to get him to the hospital as soon as possible. They did all they could to get him in their car and they rushed him to the hospital. As soon as he got into the ER, they, they took him into the OR and uh, started ministering to him and, and patched him up and um, set his broken leg. Later in recovery, the doctor introduced himself and explained, uh, Mr. Wardar, you're a lucky man because if those people wouldn't have got you to this hospital, you would have bled to death. You were hurt much more than you thought. Now, friends, I share this story because I would suggest to you this is a lot like how we view ourselves emotionally. For many people, and maybe all of us, we have been through some emotional wrecks. We've been through some damages in our lives, some concussions, but we kind of persuade ourselves, you know, that's just the way life is. I'm going to be okay. I'll just continue to travel on down life, not knowing maybe there's been some damage. There's been some wounds in our past. And this is kind of the backdrop of our second part of the series, Finding Your Best 
you. And I'm so glad that you are attending this morning. I know some of you are away watching us online. Hopefully, uh, if you would like to partake at the end of our message, uh, communion, uh, you received a little communion cup. If anyone would like one of these that didn't get one of these, you could raise your hand and our, our host will come and help you out. Also, maybe you brought your, your notebook. I believe this series is so transformational, has been for, for me, that it can be for you. And, and one of the things that I like to do is to write down things because my brain doesn't remember too many things. So if I write it down, I can always go back to it. I encourage you to do that if you would like. Well, this whole series of our best you, a lot of times we don't see our best you. Last week, we discovered this Old Testament figure of Gideon. And when God's angel came to him and said, Gideon, uh, I, I see you as a warrior. I see you as the man that's going to help deliver your people of Israel. And immediately, Gideon said, well, it's not me. I, I, I don't see myself as a warrior. Uh, I'm not at my best. And so I'm just going to do my thing down in this pit. And we learned that, that God sees our best even when we think we're less. God believes in us, but a lot of times I would submit secretly, privately, we don't really believe in ourselves that much. We see ourselves less. We kind of get a clue of Gideon in his response when the angel showed up and said, God wants you, he believes in you. And, and Gideon said, are you kidding me, sir? How will I deliver Israel? Look, look, my family is the weakest, uh, Manasseh's, and, and I'm the youngest in my father's household. It, it's not me. And we talked about, well, how do you get to that place, right? That, that, that when maybe God sees stuff in you, immediately we kind of default to, uh, no, uh, I'm the weakest, right? I'm the youngest. I, I can't do it. And we talked about, it's kind of like listening to an old 90s cassette recorder, right? That, that maybe we dubbed it and we think it's the greatest. But today, if you are still listening uh, to music or audible sounds on a cassette, you're like, wow, that, that's not the best. And many times we are still listening to old stories. We're still also listening to narratives and voices that came from our past that is not the best. It's less, and God wants the best in, for us in, in our life. Well, uh, we start realizing that a lot of times uh, we have to discover what collisions or wrecks or maybe some concussions we went through emotionally, especially in our past, if we're ever going to find our best. And this Sunday, to be perfectly honest with you, is probably the most intense, maybe most delicate uh, subject that we're going. Uh, because we're going to kind of unravel some of the, maybe some of the, the accidents or tragics or trauma that maybe we have experienced in our past. And it can be a little emotionally uh, intimidating. Uh, I warn you, it could be frightening. Some of you might be checking out and say, I don't want to go there. Uh, you know, who made you a therapist and where's your license kind of deal? I, I get that. But I, I do kind of consider myself maybe uh, an expert in spirituality and Christianity. And one of the things I've discovered through my life is that uh, the more we emotionally heal, the more we spiritually grow. 
The more we emotionally heal, the more we spiritually grow. See, most of my life is just only about dealing with sins and you need to get right with God. And if you get right with God and all that, but a lot of times there's baggage and there's skeletons and there's all this kind of uh, emotional stuff that people keep tripping up. At least I have tripped up in my life. It doesn't, has, has limited my freedom, has limited my leadership, my security. And, and maybe I got right with God and, and I don't sin that you know, thing anymore. But what's my problem? Well, I've discovered a lot of times it's those accidents, it's those traumas, those, those situations in our past that keeps haunting us, even in our spiritual life. So today we're going to kind of look at the emotional side a little bit. I've been discovering some things about myself and discovering things about this emotional journey. And, and one of the, the books I was looking through is uh, author was Ruth Haley Barton and her book, Strengthen the Soul of Your Leadership, right? Strengthen the Soul of Your Leadership. And she declares that most people all have had some uh, trauma in their life, in their past. And then she says that sometimes it's capital T trauma and sometimes it's small t trauma. And capital T trauma, you, you, it might be, you know, some, let's say some tragedy when you're younger. Maybe you lost a parent out, out of the blue, right? Maybe uh, you saw your parents, uh, maybe domestic violence, or there was a divorce, and, and this kind of traumatizes us a little bit. And how do we cope with that? And what do we do with that? Uh, maybe there might be somebody watching or someone here that's experienced abuse in their past, physical, emotional abuse when you were younger. Experts tell us that one out of three ladies have experienced abuse. Most of that has been sexual abuse. So what do you do with that capital T trauma? Uh, we, we hear a lot of times there's, there's suicides and, and we're not sure how to process that, look at that, and, and that affects us. It's kind of like we're having these concussions. We, we've had these traumas in our life. Have you ever been betrayed by maybe a, a friend have you, have you ever had uh, experience in a fair? What, what does that do to you? What does that do to your value, your identity, your, your psyche? M- maybe all of a sudden you are unexpectedly fired. Well, why me? Why did that happen? Or you've experienced failures. Oh, we know there's a high mark in our society that people uh, have been divorced. And that, that seems to stain us. That seems to be something failed there. Something died. And so, but we're supposed to have a smile on the face. And next time we know we're on the side of the road telling ourselves we're okay, but maybe we're not. Maybe there was an accident. Maybe there was a capital T trauma that we're trying to process as adults now that never was addressed, never was healed, never was looked at in our past. And a lot of these traumas, these T's, can create like uh, what they say, uh, post-traumatic syndrome, PTS, right? Most of the time we think, well, that's for military people. You know, they've been around explosions and, and death and, and, and they get triggered and there's all kinds of anxiety. But, but I would suggest that a lot of times if we've been through things in our past, it can trigger us too. Before we know it, we're dealing with some post-traumatic symptoms and syndromes, Right? Next thing we know, we're a little bit on edge. We, we lose our temper. Where did that come from? Or we find ourselves just kind of shrinking back and getting smaller because that reminds us of that accident, that trauma that happened in our life. There's a whole bunch of people who are wrestling with depression. Anxiety is, is super high. 
There's a lot of mistrust of church and people, and, and we're just dealing with a lot of PTS from these past maybe capital T traumas that we just kind of keep secret and we don't want to look at. And that was there, and I'm now, and, I, and I'm fine, but I would declare to you that a lot of times because of these old mantras, these old stories, that it's not leading us to be our best self, our best you. When I heard this, I, I thought to myself, you know, I, I can't recall any capital T traumas in my life. I was a fortunate kid. I grew up in a semi-functional Christian home, right? And my parents stuck, uh, stayed together, took us to church, this kind of stuff. And surely I don't have any trauma. Then she explained that you might not have a capital T trauma, but probably all of us have had some small T traumas. There were some things said to us. Uh, maybe that little trauma back there when we were cut from that sports team or we weren't invited to that party or, or we were dumped by that boyfriend or girlfriend or, or we had some absent parents. Maybe it was those, those tests that we flunked out on. Maybe we, we had some sickness and people just kind of made fun of us or, or, or we, we really were unstrong. Maybe it's the dreams that never materialized. You know, all my life, I thought this is what I'd be and this is what I'd look like and it didn't happen. And so we're just kind of processing and working with these little T's. You know, as I, I, I thought about this and did some self-discovery and looking back and like I said, I can't recall any major traumas. I should be okay, but I found that I've had some private insecurities. I've had some weaknesses and it showed up in my family, showed up in my marriage, showed up in my leadership and, and what's wrong with me. And maybe there were some things that in my past that, that, that now show up and triggers me, right? Threatens me, makes me just kind of uh, get small or get insecure, some of these T's, these, these traumas, whether they be big or, or these small T's, can come from peers, right? We, we've all heard about kids being bullied. Maybe you can think back and say, yeah, I, I remember maybe when, when I was cornered or I was insulted. All it takes is one comment from a friend. You hear they're gossiping about us. They don't want to be our friends or rejected or, or a teacher said something to us, a parent said something to it, and just marks us. We just like, I guess you're right. I, I must be that person. And so it's like a tape recorder. We just kind of dub it on our brain and embed it on our psyche that secretly, privately, we're like, we must be that person. This is old thought, these old default false narratives that land on our brain. It can just become from peers. Sometimes it can come from the church or, or God. I, I know a lot of people, it's like, you know, I was taught that God was good and all-powerful, and, and there was a dilemma in my family. Someone maybe was sick, a situation. I prayed, and, and that loved one still passed away. And so all of a sudden, there's a concussion. There's a trauma that you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. If God's so good, then where was he? And he didn't show up. And all of a sudden, you're, you start playing a tape. You start embedding something in your mind. You're like, God's not good. He didn't show up. That's not fair. Thus, I'm, I'm going to kind of walk away from God and get away. But it, it, it could be that, that all of a sudden someone in authority, maybe like me, or, or a volunteer or somebody that says some snarky remark to you at church, um, demeans you. Or crosses lines, and you're like, man, if that's the church. If that's God, I'm, I'm out. Right? And for the rest of your life, you're like, nah, I don't need to go to church. Because when I was 12, maybe when I was 15, this person, this pastor said something. And before you know it, that is your old story. And you walk in that 
thought, you walk in that mantra, if you will, that God is not good, his church is not good, and, and you struggle. I remember a, a sad story uh, growing up. Um, like I said, I kind of grew up in church and man, some great experiences. Uh, my life was totally transformed by a, a rocking church and a teen group and, and a, a youth leader. And there was a bunch of us jock guys that really got our stuff together with Christ. And we were journeying together and had a lot of fun. But one of, my, one of those guys, as we got out in college, we kind of went our own way, got busy, found girlfriends, that kind of stuff, you know. Well, next thing you know, the, 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 I hear this guy is not traveling with Jesus anymore. We're like, hey, did you hear about him? I'm like, what's up, man? And he's like, man, he's like partying. He's hanging out with those people. I'm like, really? It's like, and he's not showing up at church anymore. And he, he, he's just like denying his faith. And, and it just kind of set me back. I was like, no, no we, we, we made commitments together. We were buddies arm in arm for Jesus. Let's, let's go. And what happened to him, right? And he just kind of avoided me and avoided us. And that friendship kind of broke. And I, I was so disappointed, personally kind of hurt. Later on, we, we kept our relationship and we had some conversations. And as we matured and got older and, and he started finding his way back to, to God. And we had that, that special conversation. And I said, man, what, what happened back in, in college? And he's sharing. He says, well, what you didn't know is, you know, we were all kind of going our own way. But back at home, I was kind of, you know, that 18, 19. And there was huge amount of frictions back home. And uh, you, he says, you know, my, uh, you know, my parents, my dad, you've been over there plenty of times. We hung out together. Yeah. You know, my dad always had a smile on his face and everything looked fine. But when people are away, man, there was stuff behind closed doors. It was borderline abuse. And I was suffering. And I didn't know how to process that. I didn't know how to deal with that. And that, that damaged me. And then, you remember back in college when, when our youth pastor asked you, uh, you guys to help be sponsors on a youth retreat? That you were old enough and he respected you enough. And he asked a couple of you to, to be the sponsors. So I said, yeah, I, I remember that. He says, you remember he didn't ask me? I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, he didn't ask you. He says, that marked me. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. I was struggling with my face. I was struggling with back home. And you know, when that youth pastor said, you're not good enough, I'm not asking you. That's how I saw that. And right there, I just said, well, if I'm not good enough for my youth pastor, and I'm not good enough to be a sponsor. I'm not good enough for God. And why? Let's party, man. And he, I kind of turned my back on God because of those incidences right there. And sometimes that can mark us and transform us. But, but I would also submit this to you that well, probably the biggest marking that some of the biggest accidents, concussions we find ourselves is through family dynamics, right? Uh, we all know that there's kind of like uh, some dysfunction going on, right? Uh, there, uh, like one comedian said that, that insanity runs in my family. In fact, in my family, it gallops in my family, right? This insanity, right? George Carlin says, you know, the other night I went to a nice family restaurant, and every table was filled with families arguing, right? And you're like, yeah, that was my family. Uh, there was a lot of fussing and tension and fighting and, and problems behind uh, uh, closed doors. We look back on Gideon when, when they, God said, hey, I want you to step up. I see you as a warrior. He's like, oh, no, my clan is the, the weakest, right? Well, where did he get that? Right? What was happening? What was his grandparents telling him about his tribe and his family? What did he see in his family that marked him and said, no, you can't use me because I know my family. 
and we're not very strong. We're, we're dysfunctional. And I would submit to you a lot of times, this is where we get our identity and our worth. If our parents are not doing that well, it marks us, right? And we just start to start coping through life, trying to figure out where our strength comes and who we are. And, and, if, and if we didn't do this, and we're going to try to oversell here, and, and we get anxious and triggered by this. And lots of it goes back to our family dynamics. Uh, one of the exercises that I want to recommend to you that you might remind yourself and write this down is, is, is try to look back at your family dynamics and how that in, impacted you. One of the exercises you can do is think about the blessings or the assets that were passed down through your family. Um, not just your parents, maybe, but through your grandparents. Where's, where there's some uh, benefits or values that you, you notice that, you know, I kind of take this, this on. For instance, in my family, I was fortunate enough to, to have some generations that were Christian people, right? They, they, that was part of our value, that we love Jesus. We, we go to church, and, and we try to live the best we can. And, and so I was like, yeah, that, that, that kind of inbred on me. I, I, part of my heritage, I would say, is that we, we try to help people. I can't tell you how many times I saw my dad working at church, stopping, sacrificing, giving, uh, going out of his way to, to help people. And I'm like, well, yeah, that, that's kind of me. And, and in fact, that's probably one of the helps that leaped me into ministry is uh, I was passed down the modeling that that's part of our DNA. That's, that's how we do, do, do life. And it's a blessing. It's been awesome. I love them for it, right? But the hard part is to say, was there anything passed down to you that, that wasn't an asset, that were a liability? Was there some dysfunction there with some things that might have touched you and hurt you? And you're like, I don't want to go there. I, I love my parents. I love my family, right? But if we're honest, maybe there was. And this exercise is not to find some blame and throw parents and generations under the bus and look how abusive you were. Stuff. My friends, can I, can I share this? Well, I have figured out, and I know I'm not the smartest guy in the world and stuff, but, but one time I looked at, like, you know, all young parents, they're kind of like young adults. They just got through teenagers and college, and all of a sudden, boom, they have these young humans, right, little humans that they're trying to raise, right? At the same time, they're trying to get their careers together, right? They're trying to keep their romance and marriage together, right? There's all kinds of stress, and they got all this baggage, and all of a sudden, they're processing too, we expect our parents to just be perfect, right? And if they mis had a mistake and they lost their temper or they did something right, we're like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, well, they're processing too. Uh, their parents, your grandparents might have done stuff or said stuff that marked them and they're trying to handle you at the same time. There's stuff in the back of their head that's like, no, you're not good enough, or you better work harder, or you better shape up, right? And next thing you know, that flashes and there's dysfunction. So if we just kind of be honest with that, well, well, is there some liabilities? Sometimes it's genetic, right? Um, I don't know, some, some, some depression or anxiety. I think about uh, my life, and one of the things that's hindered me is, is that I really have never had a really good faith level. If I, I would be honest with you today and confess that, you know, my leadership is like, man, let's, let's do something great for God. Let's take the hill. Let's you know, I don't know, build buildings or whatever, you know, my, my mantra, my tape that back in the, in my days, uh, was like, no, that won't work out. Something's going to go wrong. Let's play it safe. That's what I push in the back of my head. 
and, and my, my people follow me, board members, whatever, they're kind of like, man, Jim wasn't really excited about that. Why, why, why do you have faith? That, that other pastor down the street, he's got a lot of faith. Well, why don't I have faith, right? Because I'm like, well, I think what's passed down on me is that my mom kind of modeled a lot of anxiety. And uh, I remember sitting many times when I was a teenager. I don't know. My mom would be sitting there, Jimmy, we better be careful, you know, because dad might lose his job and we don't have that much money and, and we better hang in there. And I'm like, oh, 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 okay. And so as I get up an adult, I'm like, oh, let's play it easy because you never know. Well, where does that come from? Right? Because my mom wasn't full of faith. My mom wasn't bold and God rest her soul. And I'm not trying to demean her. I'm just being honest. It's like, whoa. And then, then I look at her life and, oh, she had some big capital T things in her life. And she's trying to raise squirrely Jimmy, right? Driving her nuts while she's processing some huge negativities back in her life. And now I realize why she was so quiet. Now I kind of realize that the things triggered her. Now I realize that, that, that she wasn't really joyful a lot of times. Godly lady, but personality when she was struggling with stuff. And then that was passed on to me. And then, and then people were like, well, that's why you're so whacked out. Okay. <laughs> all right, so, so we could all kind of find that a little bit of damage that was passed on to us that helped us dig things out. Remember that the more we understand and heal emotional things, the more we can grow spiritually. Uh, some of this uh, kind of uh, uh, dictates how we view our past. And, and I kind of use the, the term uh, mantras. Uh, I, would, I would suggest that we all kind of have a private mantra, these cassette tapes, right? That, that we don't go to the new stuff. We're always going back to our old stuff, to how we privately, secretly think. And this shouldn't surprise us because we see this in the Bible. There's a lot of examples. Hey, if you're feeling embarrassed that you've got some dysfunction in your family, hey, look in the Old Testament. Uh, there was a lot of godly families that God used that had a lot of dysfunction and abuse in their past. We, you think of icons like Moses. M Moses was a murderer, man. He lost his temple and he, temper and he ran all the way back to the, the uh, desert. And God says, I need you. And he's like, no, you don't need me. I'm shameful. I'm embarrassed. I can't go back home because I got sin. I got shame. He says, yes, I need you to go back home. See, he always looks for the best. He sees our best. And a lot of times we are thinking way less of ourselves. Same with Gideon. We always have these voices that are telling us something that, that is less of God's best view of us. I mean, and how many people think, you know, privately, well, I'm, I'm pretty ugly. Because, you know, when, when there was a girlfriend of mine when I was 10 told me I was ugly. Or, or maybe there's kids that are picking on you and said, well, you're, you're fat or, or you're stupid, right? Maybe there are some times in your, this mantra said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the kid that's always left out because I was left out when I was younger. Or the kid that says, man, I got to work really hard if I'm going to make the team or people to be popular. We got we, we to gotta work hard. Uh, next thing you know, that we feel ourselves that we're damaged. Well, I went to church and I know what sin is and I've done those things and God doesn't want me and I'm embarrassed. I must be flawed. A lot of times we're like, man, I'm, I'm damaged. I'm broken because I'm one of those abused persons or I'm divorced, or I was divorced. I'm a three-time loser. And, and this is the mantra that's in the back of our head that nobody knows except for us, that we all kind of carry. I, I love that statement by Steve Cuss. He says, there's two gospels out there, the one in our head and the one in the Bible. And a lot of times we believe the things in our head and our feelings more than what's in the Bible 
This is our default. We're like, hey, I can't do that because in my head, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough. And we just kind of shrink down instead of stepping up. Steve Cuss says, the story we tell ourselves is often forged in pain and sufficient and can significantly minimize your freedom. My friends, I think this is so true. Through our life, especially when we're young, we start forging our identity, our value, our our self-esteem. And a lot of times it comes from pain and then there's that suspicion, right? But why didn't God show up? Why did that suffering have to come to my way? And here's the deal, and this is why I'm passionate about it. This is why I think it's transformed. I think a lot of times we are minimize our freedom and our security and our joy in life because our past things that we tell ourselves, these private mantras in our life. We cannot be our best self. And these old dramas, little or big, play havoc in our adult relationships, our self-esteem, our, our, our happiness, our friendships, etc. And And we constantly are kind of wrestling with this. What's my identity? Uh, how valuable am I? Does God really, he might love me, but does he like me? And then it kind of shows up sometimes in our personalities and a lot of times we clash or or we don't perform very well. And we got a lot of insecurities. We got a lot of triggering, right? And weirdness, right? One of the the great illustrations is the sisters in the New Testament, uh, Mary and Martha, right? Some of you know the story that Jesus is coming to the town and Jesus is coming to their house. Mary and Martha have the privilege of having the savior, Jesus. And so how do they react, right? Well, Mary just kind of chills out and Jesus comes in and and she kind of sits and worships Jesus the Savior while her sister Martha, she's kind of freaking out, right? She's like, oh my goodness, the Savior's coming. She's rushing in there and she's got, I got to fix some food. I got to get the house all cleaned up. This thing is looking good because he's the big guy and everything's got a, there's an image to be set, right? And and then the Bible tells us she comes and tells Jesus, hey, can you yell at my sister Mary because she's being lazy, She's not helping me in the kitchen. She's not uh, performing at the way I think everything should be performed, the way I was taught. And Jesus kind of rebukes her a little bit and says, Mary, 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 I, I appreciate that you're all about that. You're highly responsible, right? But Mary has found the best thing to just relax and worship. And I kind of have to snicker at that. Whoa, how many of us would be like Martha versus Mary, right? Because we were taught that if you're going to have value, if you're going to have purpose, if you're going to have some self-worth, man, that you've got to look prestigious. You've got to have it together. Your house has to be clean and you have to be a great host. And before you know it, you're just achieving and performing and look at these plaques and look at these titles and, and look at me because, man, that makes me feel better. And Jesus is like, man, I don't care, really. I just care about you. You don't have to perform for me. I'm not going to love you any more or any less if you are highly successful or not. So that's good news. If you've failed in your life, God's like, man, I still love you just as much. You don't have to be all tied up in anxiety and worrying what people are thinking and what your image looks like and have you achieved. And God's like, man, I'm not really interested in titles. I'm really interested about your heart and your testimony. Are we healing together, together? And, and this so much helps. I, I think about a young minister who found himself burnt out in ministry. He had this great romantic idea about ministry and he just loved God and he was going to be an awesome minister and grow his church and he found himself just working hard, man. Everything had to be buttoned down and, and, and tied up and looking great and the people and, and driven. Yeah, right. And pretty soon he started losing motivation. Uh, he started losing just um, 
uh, self-worth, cynicism started coming all over him. What's wrong with me? People are not showing up. Nobody's kind of already following. People are hardly giving, and, and I must be worthless. I, and, and, and he's ready to give up. Well, he was forced enough and smart enough to say, man, I need to get some counseling. So he, he found a Christian counselor, and so they, they started peeling back those layers. Hey, Mr. Preacher, pastor guy, that's good that you were passionate, that you want things well. That's nothing, that's nothing. But why are you so driven? Why do you feel less if things don't work out just perfectly? Why do you have to have everything just kind of perfect? Or, or next thing you know, you're anxious, right? Where does that come from? And he had the courage to start healing. He had the courage to start undercoving things, start looking at his path away. Oh, oh, well, that's what I was modeled. And somebody told me if I don't do this and if I'm really worthy for God, then I would be this successful preacher and I need to show up 24-7 and to have value and love by God if I'm worth anything. It's like, exactly. That's not the gospel. That's not our Jesus. God loves you for who you are. If you can help and if you can minister, great, but you don't have to have your identity and worth all on your performance Relax. I, I wonder, my friends, I wonder how many marriages could be saved and relationships could be saved if we had the courage as adults to say, you know, maybe I am wounded. Maybe I did have a car wreck or I had some tragedy, I had some trauma. Yeah, I toughed myself up and I crawled up to the side of the hill and, and got myself to the hospital. I'm okay, right? And all of a sudden, man, we're just mad and we're sinning and we're addicted to stuff, playing around with pornography and really some insecurities and stuff. But where those insecurities come from, probably when I was younger, what someone told me or what happened to me that we just didn't have the courage to look back on. We just have a lot of pride. I wonder how many marriages could have stuck together if we said, you know what's not your problem, it's my problem. I, I, I judge you and I come after you because I got a lot of threats. I got triggers. I got insecurities. And and I don't know how to deal with that in our relationship. And I just kind of vomit or lose my temper or accuse you. And it's not you. It's not so much working on your spouse. It's working on us, right? I found in my marriage, it's not about my wife so much. She already knows this. It's more about me, right? It's in my career and, and ministry, right? You, you, it's not so much about my performance, right? It's really about my health. It's really about my security. You know, you can have all kinds of talent out there and just rock the world, right? And we see every week in the headlines, pastors, right? Mr. All that, all of a sudden there's a fair. Well, where does that come from? I would submit probably there's some insecurities that never been dealt with. And all of a sudden, here's your escape. And all of a sudden hits the headlines and you lose reputation, right? So my, my job is not to so be super pastor. My job is to stay healthy and whole in God. And some of that is we got to go back because here's what God has for your life. Your past does not have to determine your future. Here's the good news, my friends. If you could wrap this, this series up in one, your past does not have to determine your future. God wants you to be the best you, to live free, to live whole and healthy emotionally and spiritually, hopefully physically, yes. And a lot of times that takes a finding a new mantra, finding a new mantra. So the old mantra, it could be like, well, I'm a loser, I, I didn't get picked. I'm not very good. The new is like, no, I, I, I'm a child of God. Or you could say, you know, I'm going to see myself as a warrior. That's what God saw Gideon. God, Gideon saw him as weak, but God saw him as a warrior. Your new mantra, instead of saying, well, I'm, I'm damaged, I'm abused, you could say, I'm healed. I'm healed. 
the old mantra could be, well, I'm, I'm a broken person. And God's new mantra is, you're a restored person. Uh, the old mantra is, well, I, I, I'm rejected, was rejected. And God's new mantra, according to his word, is you're chosen. You're a child of God. Your old mantra could be, well, I'm, I'm stained by sin. I know that I've done stuff that embarrass God. and I, I'm, I'm no good, right? God's new mantra, oh, no. You're redeemed by grace. What if we told ourselves that every day, that instead of just always going, playing that button of, no, I'm this, God says, no, you're, you're this. You're, 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 you're my child. Live free, live whole. Uh, Ian Morgan, who wrote the book, The Story of You, talked about his journey and how some of the tragedies happened in his life. And next thing you know, he's trying to cope with stress and strain relationship and, and alcohol was kind of was his medication. A little bit here, a little bit there, right? Next thing you know, it, it made him feel good and relaxed, right? Because he had these underlying undertone kind of stuff happening, but that would just kind of mask it. Next thing you know, he's addicted to alcohol. And he, and he finally woke up. He said, man, I, I was running off an old mantra. And my old mantra was the lost boy. I was the lost boy. But he says, now I am the redeemed man. I am the redeemed man. I will tell myself that every day, every hour if I have to, because my tendency is to go back to the old mantra, but my new mantra is I am the redeemed man through Jesus Christ who went to the cross. See, he started healing emotionally. Next thing you know, he's, he's growing spiritually and, he, and he's healthy and God is using him. So here's what I have for you today. This is what I want to encourage you to do, maybe uh, this morning, obviously, but also uh, maybe go home. Take some time privately, if you can find some time, and think about some old wounds or old mantras. You know, say, well, I kind of do think myself this way. These old thoughts, these old, that's your old mantra. Try to recognize that. Try to discover that. And maybe that came from because... Back in fifth grade or back in ninth grade when this and this and that, I just kind of put this narrative, this voice in my head that that's who I am, I guess, right? And now that I'm 45, I, I still kind of think that way when I was 15. Try to find that out because, see, that's half the battle. I would submit to you that if you can figure that out and say, oh, that's why I tick that way. That's why I lose my temper. That's why I get nervous. It's really back those days, right? That's half the battle. We're going to talk about that next week. Next week, man, it's going to be gold. It's going to be talk about how do we deal with triggers and threats to the life, our best life that God wants for us to stay whole and solid. Now, the second thing is sift your wounds through the gospel. Sift your wounds through the gospel. This, this, this is a sifter or a strainer, right? Many of you know what this is. Uh, and, and, and many of you are like, oh, I, I've done that before, right? You, and you want some pure flour to bake something beautiful and wonderful. And so you sift that flour and, and, and the, the purities come through. The, and then the, the ugly stuff, the, the in, um, polluted stuff stays up there, right? And he's like, yeah, and you, and you throw that away. This is what God wants you to do with your old wounds and your pain and your traumas, right? They're there, right? But you don't have to live with them. They don't always have to mark on your brain and your psyche that you can sift them through the gospel. The problem is a lot of times, just give me a little grace here, okay? A lot of times we don't even know what the gospel is, right? When's the last time we opened up our Bible and, and we highlighted some truth and nuggled, this is the truth. See, here's the deal. A lot of times we are going by our feelings and our thoughts and our old mantras rather than the truth of the Bible. See, there's two gospels, the one that's in our head and the one in the Bible. And we got to figure out what is the gospel? 
What are the, the, the metal strains? It's like, no, this is truth. And I'm going to see myself through the truth. Can I give you a couple? Uh, number one is that you've got to realize the truth is that God is a God of perfect love and compassion for you. It's not that I feel that sometimes. Many times I don't feel that. But I've got to go through the word of God and says, oh, no, it is the truth. And we see this in 1 John, which says, God is love. Whoever lo- lives in love lives in God and God in them. That's the truth. If God is love, is he living within me? If he's living within me, then love is living within me. I'm okay. I don't have to worry about what other people think. I don't have to always think back about those things that have been damaged and hurt. And there is no fear in love because here's the truth. Perfect love drives out fear. A lot of times we have not absorbed the truth, the gospel that God loves us. We're not even sure if he likes us, right? But that is the truth. And we sift that through that we can have perfect love. One of my favorite quotes by Cuss is, either you're in the grip of anxiety or you're in the grip of God's perfect love. Many times when threats come my way, oh no, right? That goes back to maybe when I saw my mother or whatever, right? I got to ask myself, Jim, you're in the grip of anxiety? Uh, Maybe, right? Or you're going to be in the grip of God's perfect love. I choose to live in God's grip of perfect love, right? Next thing you know, I'm much more calm as a leader. I'm much better as a husband, much better as a father, right? Because I tell myself, no, I'm not going to live in the old paradigm. I'm not going to live in in what I was modeled or what triggers me. I'm going to live in God's perfect love because that's the truth. I'm going to strain my thoughts, my mantra, my wounds through the perfect, uh, uh, through the gospel, the second thing I want to get is the gospel of healing. Psalms 147 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up the wounds. God cares about your wounds. Well, Jim, where was God back then? Where was God when I went through those dark times and that, that situation was so saddening and maddening in my life? Was he there? Yes, he was, my friends. This is the hardest thing for people to understand. See, God cannot take away all pain. He will not do that. That means he takes away free will. If we're ever going to experience love and goodness and joys in our life, you've got to have a counter. You've got to, you've got to have bad. If everything was just good, we would never even know it was good. And God gave us free will that we can choose to do good or we can do bad. And my friends, because of that free will that God so loved us, bad things have happened to good people. Bad people have chosen to act out and harm people and do things. We call it crime. We call it abuse, right? And many people have been damaged because they said something snarky. They said something insulting. They they harmed you physically, emotionally, and we're carrying that, right? And it's so sad, but God was there. And he wants to take that and sift it through his love to heal and brokenhearted. We've all had some brokenness in our life, right? It's kind of like a good earthly father. He's watching his, his kids ride bikes out in the street, right? They're having a good old time. He loves them. He loves you. All of a sudden, there's a collision, and, and there's a wreck, and the child goes down on the pavement, and there's a big scrape and bruise, right? And the kid explodes, and he's crying. And says, what does the father do? Oh, good luck with that. I'm sorry that happened to you, right? The dad immediately comes out of the house, goes and grabs that child, and says, I'm here for you, honey. I'm here for you. Can he immediately stop the pain? No, he can't. Is there blood still flowing? Yes, there is, right? But that doesn't do everything. Say, I'm going to get the bandage. I'm going to get some ointment, right? I'm going to hug you. I'm going to wipe your teeth. And that doesn't say it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. My friends, that's the God I'm talking about. He doesn't always stop the wounds, okay? 
but he's there. He sees them. He says, let me have those wounds through my compassion, through my perfect love. He heals the broken hearted. Well, Jim, some of that brokenness has caused me to act out. I've, I've done some things that God would not be pleased of. I've, I've lashed out. I've said stuff. I've, you know what? Part of that gospel is that God is willing to forgive and redeem. I don't know. I, I think it's amazing grace to me. The Bible tells us that he, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Sometimes we don't feel like we deserve uh, forgiveness and we redeem. That's for someone else, right? No, but that's the truth. The truth is he does redeem no matter who you are, my friends. He redeems through his grace. That's a fact. You got to remember that when your mind is like, uh-uh, uh, it's, I'm no good. I've been healed. I'm damaged. I'm, I'm broken. No, the truth of this, strain it through the truth of God. Learn the truth. Write it down. Highlight it. Remind yourself. Put it uh, in your notebook, right? And when the things are down and you're not sure, uh, uh, you, gotta, you can go back to your notes and say, that's where it is. Ephesians 1, 7, right? Um, Psalms 147. And it's a gospel of freedom and wholeness. One of my favorite scriptures I tell every week to myself or more is Galatians 5, 1. The gospel, it is for freedom that you have been freed. It's, I'm sorry, it's for freedom that you have been set free. Now, friends, this is not just for sins. I always thought it was just for sins. Man, you screwed up. You went against God. He freed you. You're forgiven. Woo-hoo. But it's also free emotionally. He doesn't want his children to always be bogged down in negative narratives, false lies, uh, weakness. He's like, man, I see the best in you. Be free, be whole. It's a gospel of wholeness. It's a gospel of healing. See, Jesus went all the way to the cross for you to live in a new mantra, to find your best you spiritually and, and emotionally. Third thing I want to ask you to do when you go home this week is, or, or right now to find a new mantra. Let God heal you. Sift your wounds and your past through the gospel that you have a new mantra, a new identity. Uh, it's not so much about what you feel. It's in the word of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. So what is your new thought from God? Who are you? Are you the lost person? Are you the sinful person? Or are you like, no, I'm the redeemed person. You know, I'm the refocused person. I'm the healed person. I'm a child of God. I'm going to tell me that every day. That's my new mantra. I don't care what you think of me or success or failures, man. I'm all that. I'm great in God because my new mantra is in Christ Jesus. I'm new in Christ Jesus. And by the way, I, I love this uh, quote by Ian Crone. Be careful not to let the sins of people keep you from the goodness of God. You ought to write that down, right? Because I would declare to you, there has been people that sinned against you or have said things against you. And that has us, kept us from the goodness of God and the freedom in our life. Let it go. Go with God. It's a gospel of freedom. Now, friends, many of you came in today and you received this, this communion cup, this um, disposable cup. And most of you know what this represents. This represents the gospel the gospel of, of salvation, what Jesus did on the cross, the bread um, symbolizes his, his body that was a sacrifice on that cross. The, the blood symbolizes uh, his grace, the new covenant in Christ Jesus. But can we just leverage it a little bit more this morning, just for five, seven more minutes? 
But could it be that God wants us to see this morning the elements, something for our emotions? That when he was hanging on the cross and he was going through that horrific experience of crucifixion, he understood pain. Because see, Jesus was rejected. He was laughed at. He was spit on. Not only the physical pain that the bread represents, but also the emotional pain. That people walked away from him. People rejected him and hated him. He's been where you are. And this morning, God wants to heal your pain. God wants you to sift your wound, your past, whatever broke in your life, right? Through the gospel. And part of that gospel is his broken body on the cross. The second is that the, the drink represents his blood. To me, it's almost like ointment. It's almost like medicine that flows through into our body, but it also can flow over those memories, those painful times, those losses, that God, that you're going to cleanse that. You're going to wipe them over it, that I don't have to live into that anymore and remind myself that I can be forgiven and healed and whole because you're a compassionate God. So I'd like for you to listen to this song, and if you would, if you could just give God some space this morning, the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, we're probably going a little longer here, but if you could just listen to this. And maybe today, this message is for you. That you're like, Jim, you nailed it. The truth of the matter is there's stuff in the back of my mind that I'm always defaulting to and doesn't make me too healthy. Sometimes it shows up. Sometimes it shows up in sin. And today, God wants to work in your life that you would trust him with that. And they're going to sing this song. And if you, maybe you can just say, Jesus, I, I don't want to live in that old mantra anymore. I don't want to live in that old pain, those voices, those thoughts. I want you to heal it. I'm going to give it over to you. Some of you maybe need to repent and say, God, I, I know I've lived away from you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Cleanse me. Some of you need some physical healing. You've been struggling physically and we just pray that God would do some work as we just sift your pain, your wounds through the goodness of the gospel. So I just ask you to close your eyes, give God five minutes and listen to the song as he does his healing work. And then we'll take the elements. Holy Spirit, do your work today. I'd invite you to take the, your communion cup and on the bottom, peel off the bottom and that bread will come out. As we about to partake of the bread, let's remember the physical, the emotional abuse that Christ went through on our behalf to heal us, to forgive us, to make us whole. Let's take it together. As we peel off the drink, we're reminded of his blood that was shed on that cross. His amazing blood is able to forgive all sin, all stains, all regrets, and heal us. At the same time, may we take it as, as like medicine flowing over our wounds, flowing over the past to make us new in him and finding our best self. Let's take it together and be thankful. invite you to stand to close in dismissal prayer. Gracious God, we thank you that you want us to find our best self. 
Thank you that you went to the cross, God, that we don't have to live in the old mantra. We don't have to live in the old voices. We don't have to live in the old pain, God, that we can be healed and restored and forgiven in you. Help us to live in that perfect love, God, and courage. Bring us back next week as we learn to, to traverse the journey more securely and dealing with maybe temptations and threats and triggers, God, to live whole and, and in you. We love you and we praise you for all you've done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.